How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah. So today, inshallah ta'ala, I'm just gonna re-show this slide that we looked at before. Uh, this is something that you guys should be familiar with, but basically it's reminding us of what are considered evidence. And there are the ones that are basically undisputed, uh, the first four, which are Quran, Sunnah, Ijma' and Qiyas. And as you see, I highlighted Sunnah today, because that's what we're gonna be covering today. And then there are uh, the rest, Istihsan, Maslaha, Mursala, Istislah, Urf, Madhada, Sahaba, Sharh, Man, Qablana, and Sadaf, Ra'i'ah. These we're gonna cover later, inshallah ta'ala. So we already covered Quran, we talked about the Hujjit, the, the evidence of the Quran. Now we're gonna take a look at the Sunnah, uh, so, what number, the second point of evidence, what is evidence in Islam? Number two is the sunnah. After Quran comes sunnah. So let's get into more details. Definition of types of sunnah. Well, first and foremost, sunnah can be, is the, the word itself, linguistically, linguistically, lughatan, means the way or course or habit. Now, istilahan, uh, or you could say technically, sunnah is referring to the words, actions, silent approvals, or descriptions of the Prophet So what does that mean? It's really important when we say, oh, the sunnah of the Prophet what are we talking about? You wanna have a comprehensive definition. So we're talking about four different things. What he said, when the Prophet said something, those are his words, that's part of the sunnah. Also his actions, maybe he didn't say anything, but he was doing something. That's also part of sunnah. It's, it's, what, it's what he did, uh, uh, what he said, what he did. And then number three, if something happened, let's say for instance, Somebody was doing something haram, uh, and the Prophet was around. A prophet cannot be okay with that. A prophet can't just let it slide. Just the other night, we were uh, eating something, and somebody, without mentioning any names, dr drank some water with their left hand. And I thought, oh, maybe I won't bring it up because it's awkward. But then I thought, no, subhanAllah, as a Muslim, if I'm following the sunnah of the Prophet I'm supposed to say to this guy, hey man, switch. You're supposed to drink with your right hand. So you're not supposed to be around something wrong and just approve of it. So if something was happening, let's say somebody was eating goat, for example, somebody was eating a goat, and the Prophet was there, what does that tell you? If it was haram to eat goat, he would have objected. The fact that somebody was sitting there and eating goat comfortably and the Prophet just silently approved, he didn't say or do anything. So it doesn't fall into the first two categories. It's not words, it's not actions. It's literally doing nothing. But something was happening in front of him. So it's a silent approval, therefore that is fiqh. That is part of our like Islamic law, a body of Islamic law. It goes into the sunnah. And the final one is descriptions. Even if he's not saying or doing anything or silently, approve, pro, uh, silently approving of anything, he still looks a certain way. So when people say the Prophet was, let's say, this tall, this handsome, his hair was like this, etc. This is just his description, and therefore that is also part of sunnah. So these four things, when someone says, what is this sunnah you're talking about? You'll say words, actions, silent approvals, and descriptions of the Prophet So it's a good thing to know, to memorize, inshallah. Now, classification of the sunnah based on chains. This is a very big subject that I hope that once we cover this whole course, we're gonna go into ulum al-hadith and understand hadith, the sciences of hadith, a lot more in detail. Today we're gonna to go, we're just gonna to touch on it very briefly, just to learn a few small terms. So there are two or three types of chains connecting us to the sunnah. I say two or three because the Hanafis have a, 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 another one. So what are we talking about? Al-mutawatirah. Mutawatirah, uh, this, uh, this refers to things that were reported by so many people that such a large group agreeing on a lie is impossible. And a simple example we can give is, let's say, how many people have been to Australia? Anybody been? Okay, none of you have been to Australia. Oh, Masha, okay, let's pretend you didn't. Okay, let's just say, none, let's say nobody here. Do you guys believe in Australia? Do you believe it's a real place? Right, yes you do, right, why? Because the idea of the whole world coming together and agreeing upon a lie seems kind of ridiculous, right? So that's, it's, that's just, a, you know, same thing with, I don't know, World War II. Did World War II happen or not? Well, you say, of course it did. Well, you weren't there. How do you know? 
And it's like, well, because the idea that the whole world just agreed to make up, a guy, uh, make up this, this whole um, you know, event uh, seems ridiculous. So in a similar fashion, if so many of the Sahaba taught so many of the next generation, the Tabi'een, and they taught so many, and, and, the, and you, know, you imagine the Prophet has so, many different teach, has so many different students, and then each one of those students, they themselves become teachers that have so many students each. So you can see how it's branching out and getting wider and wider. Imagine it starts with so many Sahaba and gets even more students and more, and then you have so many chains uh, uh, this is called Mutawatir. Now, uh, there are, according to this pr particular book called An-Nazmul Mutanathir Fil Hadith Al-Mutawatir, in this particular book, there are 309 Mutawatir Hadith according to this particular book, and, they, uh, uh, and this uh, Shaykh uh, compiles them all. However, it should be noted that there's different types of Mutawatir, and like I said, this is a bigger topic that we'll talk about another day. There is Mutawatir in terms of, yani, lovely, uh, literal wording. Like, imagine if the Prophet says a specific word, right? Um, you know, uh, a certain statement. And then so many of the Sahaba report those exact same words, that would be mutawatir in terms of wording, right? Now, but what about the fact that the Prophet ﷺ prayed? Right, it says right here, an example of this is prayer or fasting or charity. Now, these come in very many different hadith, but the fact is they're all confirming the same things. You get my point? So let's say the fact that the Prophet ﷺ prayed, you're gonna find so many countless narrations that have different wording, that say different things, but all agree about the general broad fact that the Prophet prayed. So it's impossible to imagine that, let's say, for example, the fact of prayer, the fact of charity, the fact of uh, 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 fasting, Ramadan, etc. It can't be a lie because this is mutawatir uh, ma'nawi. This is uh, uh, transmitted in so many chains, not in the particular wording of the, of the narration, but in the meaning of the narration because they all confirm the same concept. Is this clear? Making sense? Good. So, uh, all, of course, of the tawatur uh, hadith, they are considered as in there's no doubt that they are authentic. The chain is certain. Anyone who disbelieves in one is therefore a disbeliever. Classification of the sunnah based on chain, so that was number one. Mutawatir number two is al-ahad. Most scholars just deal with these two categories. Mutawatir and ahad. Ahad, what number is it? The number of chains between one and under mutawatir. And I write under mutawatir because what is considered mutawatir is debated. So some would say, you know, I don't know, let's say uh, 10 people and right from the base, like right from like 10 of the Sahaba heard it directly from the Prophet and they all said it to, you know, a large number of, of, of Tabi'een and so on and so forth, you know, maybe 10. But others say, no, Mutawatir is even bigger, 15, 20, 30, etc. So there's difference of opinion regarding uh, what is considered the exact number, but anything underneath that is going to be considered, whether it just be one chain or just a few more, it's going to be considered ahad. Uh, this number, this hadith is, has to be applied, but it's considered as in you can't declare somebody a disbeliever if they reject it. You can't say, uh, and Allah knows best. Now, the reason why there's a third category is because the Hanafis, they have an extra category that is between one and, you can say one and three, or the, the first and the second, they, they put in another one. They say what? They say the Hanafis have a third category in between these two called Al-Mashhur. Al-Mashhur is translated as well-known. Anybody, any narration that has one or two chains from the Sahabi, as in, so the Prophet says something, and the person that hears it is either one Sahabi or maybe two of the Sahaba, right? But then, right after that, the next, the next generation becomes so big in number, so many students hear it, and they pass it on to so many more people. And so it becomes so well-known that this is called mashhur. And so, yes, but it becomes tawatur in, the, uh, in number during the first three generations of Muslims. For example, a good example, this is the hadith, innamal amal bin niyat. This is the first hadith mentioned in Sahih Bukhari, which means, Indeed, all actions are judged by intentions. This is only narrated by one Sahabi, that is Umar ibn al-Khattab. So, even though it is such an extremely widespread, well-known hadith, it only gets transmitted through one Sahabi. 
So therefore, are you going to call it Ahad? No, not really, because it's so well known. But at the same time, the, the initial, you could say, pipeline that brought it down was one. So therefore, they have this term for that, which is called Mashhur. And whoever rejects that narration, according to the Ahnaf, according to the Hanafis, is considered a fasiq, an open, uh, an open uh, sinner. And therefore, their uh, testimony is rejected and things like this. Um, now, evidence of, the upon, uh, uh, evidence of the Sunnah upon rulings. The Tawatur narrations are just as strong as the Qur'an in terms of narration, in terms of their Qat'iyyat Thubut, they are completely solid, just like the Qur'an, which is also in Tawatur, in so many narrations that it's impossible to assume that it was a lie that everybody agreed upon. However, Qat'iyyat uh, Dalala, depending on the clarity of the statement, both in Qur'an and Sunnah. So obviously, a statement could be understood and interpreted in multiple ways, and we'll deal with that more when, as we get there. So I'm hoping you all remember those terms from earlier. If you do, this is going to make a lot of sense to you. If you don't, I can't, you know, these are adult classes, you know what I mean? I can't go back and redefine everything from day one, so you have to be here consistently, inshallah ta'ala. Next. Now, what is the status of the sunnah regarding the Qur'an? What is the status of the sunnah regarding the Qur'an? Well, the Qur'an is obviously primary. Why? Because for a number of reasons. Number one, the Qur'an is all considered thubut. In terms of its chain of narration, it is undoubted. It is too many people have, have, have transmitted the Qur'an for there to be any doubt. As opposed to the sunnah, which is mostly dhanni thubut. Even though some of it is qat'i, mutawatir, undoubted, but most of it is dhanni. The Qur'an is Allah's speech. The sunnah is the speech of the Prophet Muhammad And the sunnah explains the Qur'an. You don't usually say vice versa. And of course, we mentioned the hadith of Mu'adh when the Prophet was sending Mu'adh to Yemen and he was going to go become a teacher. He said to him, what are you, how are you going to teach the people? He said, based on the Qur'an. Then what next? Based on the sunnah. And if you don't find something in the Qur'an and sunnah, he said, then I'm going to strive hard, ajtahid, I'm going to work hard to come up with an opinion that is derived from those two. So we cited that hadith earlier, so I'm not going to repeat it, inshallah. Now, the status of the sunnah has four types. This is quite interesting. Number one, not much commentary as you can see, because it's very straightforward. When a hadith agrees with the Qur'an, right? Seems pretty obvious. You have a verse of the Qur'an, it says, you need to pray, aqimu salah, establish prayer. You find a hadith, let's say, for instance, there's a hadith where the Prophet tells people, you have to pray. You know, sallu, let's say, for example, pray. Aqimu salah, whatever the case may be. So no, no issue here, they agree with one another, let's move on. What if number two? The hadith clarifies the Qur'an. These are terms that you might have to learn as time goes forward. If you want to understand usul uh, al-fiqh, these are important terms. What are they? Al-mujmal wal-mubayyan. That means broad versus detailed. What does that mean, something broad versus something that is detailed? It means, for example, the Qur'an says pray, but it does not tell you how to pray. So the concept of prayer is a broad concept. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, broad, it's a wide category. Right? Aqimu salah, establish prayer. Okay, I don't really know how, right? The sunnah tells you, you make wudu, and then you face the qibla, and then you start with the takbir, and then you fold your hands, and, and so on and so forth, right? So, the term for the broad thing is what? Mujmal, and that which is detailed is mubayyan. Then, there's also the differentiation between al-am wal-khas. Sometimes you have a hadith that are clarifying the Qur'an, because the Qur'an mentions something that is am, something that is general. Whereas the hadith specifies that which is khas, that which is specific. An example of this is Allah mentions uh, certain women, which women are forbidden to marry. The, the ayah in Surah An-Nisa, ayah number 24, Allah Ta'ala talks about, for example, you can't marry women that are already married, as an example, right? And then Allah Ta'ala says, and lawful to you are others beyond this. Now, is, that is a broad statement. That is a am, excuse, I should say, excuse me, I should say it's am, it's a general statement. That, okay, there are certain categories that are haram to you, but other than that, it's halal. 
but there are certain exceptions. There are certain specific rare cases. And there's a particular hadith that offers one very rare case. The Prophet says in Sahih Muslim, That, let's say for example, uh, no one should combine in marriage a woman with her father's sister or her mother's sister. So simply put, if a man has two wives, he cannot have two wives that the woman, her, the other wife is her aunt, whether it be paternal or maternal aunt. You guys understand this? So if a guy has two wives, it can't be the case that, okay, this is my one wife and her aunt, I also made my second wife. Whether it's a paternal aunt or maternal aunt, that's haram. Did the Quran specify this? No, the Quran just said, go ahead and marry other women other than the ones that were clearly and obvious, or I should say clearly defined as haram. But then there are these rare, very unlikely scenarios that the Prophet goes, goes ahead and specifies. This is the difference between am and khas. And then the third is al-mutlaq wal-muqayyid. Al-mutlaq wal-muqayyid, which means unrestricted. Mutlaq means unrestricted, just completely unrestricted. And then muqayyid is more restricted. The example here is the Quran says to cut the hand of the thief. Now the word yad in Arabic can mean the hand, it could mean up to the elbow, it could mean up to the shoulder. The word yad theoretically could, you could take out the whole arm, right? So when Allah says cut the yad of the thief, you're like, well, well how much of the yad? You know, do I, do I start at the forearm? Do I go at the elbow? Or do I, you know, where's the right spot? And then the sunnah clarifies that it should be at the wrist. That's the, the cut spot for the thief. And of course we know that it's not just like if a guy steals a chocolate bar or something like this, or like a child. And it's not when somebody steals out of necessity. And this is, this we get into when we actually get into fiqh. Right now we're just talking about usul al-fiqh, right? But just so everybody knows, uh, it, it has to be someone who steals a significant amount. They were not in sort of some sort of desperate situation trying to save their family from like starvation. It's, it's, it's basically a professional thief. We're talking about a professional thief. You know, these people, they get punishment in a hard way. And there's a lot of wisdoms behind that. And one day we'll talk about that in more detail, inshallah. So we talked about two examples. The first was what? Hadith that agrees with Quran. Straightforward. Now, hadith that clarifies Quran. We just talked about the different categories. Good. What's next? Hadith that abrogates Quran. This was when things get a little bit more, you could say, controversial. Because there's a verse in the Quran where Allah Ta'ala mentions in Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 180, Allah Ta'ala says, prescribe for you when death approaches any, of you, any one of you, if he leaves wealth, that, is that he should make a bequest for the parents and near relatives according to what is acceptable, a duty upon the righteous. So Allah Ta'ala is saying that if you're getting older, you're sick, you know, you, maybe you're injured, you know death is on its way. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, you should write your will. Then, later on, the Prophet said what? Allah has appointed for everyone who has a right what is due to him, and no bequest must be made to an heir. This is an authentic hadith. So the question is, what does this mean? And Allah knows best, but it seems that the early rule, the first thing that Allah Ta'ala revealed, was to write one's will However, later on, Allah Ta'ala granted us guidelines as to how inheritance is to be divided, right? There were later on ayat that said, listen, you know, this person gets one quarter, well, this person gets a half, this person, you know, the parents get this much, and the, the brother gets that much, and the sister gets that much, and the wife gets that much, and the children get that much. This has all been defined, I believe it's in Surah Nisa, Allah Ta'ala breaks down how miroth, uh, uh, or uh, inheritance, is broken down. But... So there was no longer a choice for most of one's wealth after that. So this is considered by some to be an abrogation. However, you could still say that this ayah is still applies. And that's why it says right, right after that, it says, however, Imam Mashafi rejects this idea. Why? Because not all of your wealth is accounted for by miroth. You get my point? So imagine, let's say you have a large amount of money and you're dying. 
Now, most of that wealth is going to be not yours to decide. Allah said you have to give this much to this person and this much to that person. Does that mean all of it is accounted for? No, there's gonna be a certain portion which you have to now say, well, who do I leave this to? There's a certain portion that's yours to decide. And you could say, when I die, this percentage goes to person X, because Allah gave me that right. As for the rest of it, it has to go to my brother and sister and children and mother, and I have no choice. It's not my money anymore, Allah decided. But there's a certain portion that's allowed. So that's why Imam al-Shafi would say, this is not an abrogation. This is rather, the ayah is still applicable. It's just applicable to less of your money. Before, it was, make sure you write a will for all of your money. Then Allah Ta'ala later on clarified that no, this, is, this much is accounted for, it just has to go to the right people, and then the rest of it, uh, that is what you have to write your will for. So all of us are supposed to, may Allah forgive us for not doing this, you're supposed to write your will. You never know, you never know if you're gonna get sick or get hit by a car or whatever, you never know if you're gonna get into an accident. We should all write our will, and uh, especially because the government doesn't do it naturally for us. If we lived in a Muslim country, then most of it would be written according to Sharia. But since we don't live like that, we're supposed to, in our will, make it according to Sharia and then choose the last portion that's our own to choose. We make that choice. We leave it somewhere in the house. And then inshallah ta'ala, if we die, everything is done according to Islam. So anyway, I hope you guys see the difference of opinion there, but uh, still very interesting. And the fourth category of uh, the status of the Sunnah is a hadith that mentions something that the Quran was silent about. This is pretty straightforward. For example, the Prophet forbade men from wearing gold and silver. Our sisters are allowed to wear as much gold and silver as they like, but men are not supposed to. This isn't mentioned in the Quran at all. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, did I say silver? I apologize. Jazakallah khair. Thank you very much for clarifying that. And yeah, because that's, that's actually incorrect. <laughs> Sometimes your eyes go quickly, you don't pay attention. You're right. Of course, men can wear silver. Silver, they're not allowed to wear silk. Jazakallah khair. Uh, they're not allowed to wear gold and silk, and sisters can as much as they will. Barakallah fikum. Next. What is the authority of the Sunnah of the Prophet Allah Ta'ala clarifies it over and over again. And by the way, I want to remind us all of something. When Allah Ta'ala repeats something, that means that the lesson needs to be hammered home. Why? Because maybe we are weak in this department. So there are many Muslims, unfortunately, who they treat Sunnah like, is it in the Quran? No? Okay, who cares, right? Look at how Allah Ta'ala says, no, you obey Allah, what is in the Quran, and the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah says what? Qul, in kuntum tuhibbuna Allah, fattabi'uni yuhibbukum Allah. Allah says, say, O Muhammad Sallallahu if you love Allah, then follow me, follow the Prophet. So Allah will love you. Anybody can love God, but the real question is, does God love you? And so anybody can say, I love God so much that I do this dance, or I jump around like this, or I do this, or I do that, that's fine. You know, there's lots of people that invent ways of worshiping God. Oh, my worship is I do somersaults or something like this. Nobody cares. It's not about, I mean, yes, of course, loving God is great, but the real question is, does God love you? And so, if you want Allah to love you, the instruction from the Quran is what? Follow the sunnah of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, which includes his statements, actions, silent approvals, etc. Then, also Allah says, Ya ayyuhaladheena amanu, O you who have believed, Atiyu'u Allah, wa atiyu'u rasul, wa ulil amri minkum, fa in tanaza'atum fi shay'in, faruddu ilallahi wa rasul. O you have believed, obey Allah, and obey the Messenger and those in authority amongst you, and if you disagree over anything, refer it to Allah and his Messenger. Saying refer it to Allah and his Messenger means look back to the Quran and sunnah. This is the implication here. Next, Allah Ta'ala says what? فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِي مَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ But no, by your Lord, 
they will not truly believe until they make you, O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi judge concerning that over which they dispute among themselves and then they find within themselves no discomfort from what you have judged and submit in full willing submission. Allah also says, Rasul Allah. Whoever obeys the messenger has indeed obeyed Allah. Allah also says, يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ Allah says, so, so let those beware who dissent from the Prophet's order. SubhanAllah, you guys see how many ayat there are. This is not something small to be taken lightly. Furthermore, Allah says what? وَمَا كَانَ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَةٍ إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَرَةُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ it is not for a believer, man, or a believing man or woman when Allah and His Messenger have decided a matter that they should thereafter have any choice about their affair. You have to obey. And whoever obeys Allah and His Messenger has certainly strayed, whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger has certainly strayed into clear error. Allah says what? Allah says very clearly, nor does He speak from His own inclinations. These words are not just His own, this is based on revelation. Uh, it is not but a revelation revealed. Allah also says what? And whatever the messenger has given you, take it. And whatever he has forbidden you, then refrain from that. Now, also, not only just from the Quran, but also from Ijma, as in there's consensus, all the Sahaba, all the companions of the Prophet agreed upon the authority of the words of the Prophet This is demonstrated in countless ahadith. It's too many to count how many ahadith they said, okay, the Prophet said something, therefore we have to follow. So therefore, based on ijma', you have to follow the sunnah. And finally, just simply logic. It seems very obvious, but if Allah Ta'ala sent a messenger, then whatever the messenger commands is the message that Allah is conveying. Seems pretty obvious, right? Many commands in the Quran cannot be practiced without the sunnah to clarify how it is done, like salah, for example. Allah Ta'ala sent his book with a messenger to clarify how to apply the book as Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran. Allah says, and we revealed to you the message that you, O Muhammad Sallallahu may make clear to the people what was sent down to them. Now, regarding, I know we talked about ahad, what about single chain narrations? This is a longer topic that we'll probably talk about in more detail inshallah ta'ala because there's a, this is a, a length, lengthier topic, but the Sahaba and the Tabi'un and everyone after them have consensus, ijma' on the fact that ahad narrations are obligatory to follow. By the way, the first book on Usul fiqh do you remember what I mentioned? One of the, the first book on Usul fiqh was what? Do you remember the author? What was, what's the book called? MashaAllah, tabarakallah. This is why, uh, yeah, you're from Saudi as well, mashallah, brother, come on. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yes, the book, Ar-Risala, right, by Imam Shafi, right, that's the first book. He, so brilliant, mashallah, he said, what is the evidence that you are supposed to follow a hadith? Does anybody, can anybody get this? He used evidence that is so brilliant. So, inshallah, you'll never forget this brilliant evidence, because how do you know? If there's a single chain of narration, how do you know I'm supposed to follow it? Maybe I'm supposed to doubt it, right? So he came up with this brilliant, he said, think about it. When the Prophet sent one person to go tell the believers that the Qibla has changed from Jerusalem to Mecca, that one person came and said, you have to change the Qibla, and then what do they do? They physically changed direction. So now, and I believe they, they, made, they built a masjid there called Masjid Qiblatain, right? That's the, that, that's the historical site. There, in that place, they call it Masjid Qiblatain, the Masjid of the two Qiblas. Why? Because they prayed in one direction, and they were told, not by the Prophet It wasn't the Prophet yelling it out. It was one messenger from the Prophet Now, how many people were corroborating the report? Just one person, right? 
The Prophet didn't say, I have to send two guys, I have to send five guys, I have to send ten guys, otherwise you're not allowed to believe it. You guys get the point? He sent one messenger who was reliable and known. Therefore, that is hujjah, that is evidence that when they all changed direction, and the Prophet obviously found out about this, this, this narration, this, this uh, incident, I should say. Did he say, why did you guys change your direction based on one narration? That's an ahad hadith. That's a single narration. You should have rejected it. He didn't say that. He did not teach that. Do you guys get the point? So this is Imam al-Shafri, the genius, brilliant. See, us, we all know about Masjid Qiblatayn. We all know about the story. But none of us said, what, from an usuli perspective, can we learn from this narration? Some people, subhanAllah, Allah gifted them, make dua. Maybe you need to wake up in the middle of the night and pray your salawat so Allah opens your eyes. Um, subhanAllah, you can only imagine that Allah Ta'ala opens your eyes and makes you realize, oh, there's evidence in this. We're learning a lesson here. A hadith, a single narration, has weight. You can't reject it. That's only one person. So what? And there's many, uh, we even mentioned uh, uh, the Prophet sending Mu'ad ibn Jabal to Yemen. That's one man. So every time he tells them, this is how you pray, this is how you fast, this is how you do this, this is how you do that. It's all one narration, right? But the Prophet sent one person. So you guys get my point? So this is brilliant, genius mind, subhanAllah, of Imam al-Shafi, rahimahullah. Next. Uh, oh, I still got a ways to go. Please be patient with me. Conditions for an uh, ahad narration according to the Hanafis. The Hanafis, they have, oh, this is, this is gonna, okay. Uh, the narration must not, uh, uh, the narration must not apply the opposite Oh, excuse me, the narrator, I'm saying it wrong. Excuse me, the narrator must not apply the opposite to the ruling he conveys. Otherwise, we conclude he must have learned something that uh, abrogated it later on. So an example of this is Abu Huraira. So, the, so we, yes, the Hanafis take Ahad narrations, right? But sometimes they will reject it. And one example here is Abu Huraira. He narrated that uh, uh, a bowl licked by a dog must be washed seven times. So hadith. However, Dad Qutni narrates that he only washed the bowl three times after a dog licked it. So the question is, how did he narrate this seven times, even though it's an authentic chain, and yet he only applied the three? And so the Hanafis say, he must have learned something later on, that maybe the seven was recommended and the three was the base obligation, maybe something like that. But all he narrated was the seven. So the Hanafis say, even though it's authentic, we're not necessarily gonna apply it to that same extent. So you can see the mind of the Hanafi is thinking about this a little bit more nuanced. Furthermore, a second point is what? If the narration is about something that should have been seen by many people, this is actually very important. Please pay close attention to this. If the narration is about something that should have been seen by many people, yet it's only narrated by one narration, then the Hanafis will reject it. The example of this is raising the hands called Raf al Yadain. After Rukur, uh, after you come up from Rukur, you know, raising the hands. So, raising of the hands after Rukur is authentically narrated through one chain. I believe it's Ibn Umar. So, what do I mean? Everybody agrees that when you start Salah, Takbiratul Ihram, the first Takbir, you start by raising your hands. No, no disagreement there. But then you'll see, going into Rukur and coming up from Rukur, the Hanafis don't raise their hands anymore. They're done. Imam al Shafi'i. Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, the Malikiyah, these groups, they will say, of course we raise our hands. Why? Authentic narration from Ibn Umar. That says that the Prophet would raise his hands. So what's the problem? Do you Hanafis reject it? The Hanafis are very clever. They say, no, no, I don't reject it. But why is it that something that people should have been seeing five times a day, so it should have been in so many narrations, and yet it was only in one? So therefore, maybe it was exceptional, maybe it happened on a rare occasion, or there's something going on, I don't know what it is, but you know what, I'll stick to the thing that we know for sure. Raise the hands at the beginning, and then we'll stop after that. So my question to you guys, who's right and who's wrong? Right? Isn't that beautiful? 
You see, when you learn a little bit of fiqh, a little bit of usul, instead of being like the young kids that come up, why is there difference of opinion? 1400 years, we can't figure out whether to raise our hands or not. Astaghfirullah, you people. Islam is so confused, the ummah is so astray. Habibi, take it easy, relax, take a breather. No, it's actually a beautiful thing that we can appreciate. And to be perfectly honest, whatever you guys do, I'm totally fine with it. If you say, look, the hadith says that it's authentic, you raise your hands from going into ruku' and coming out of ruku', khalas, go for it, it's authentic. But if you say from the Hanifi perspective, you say, no, you know, you know what? It is kind of odd that something that should have been seen by so many, it's only narrated by one person, so that's okay, we'll leave it. We're not attacking the Hadith, we're not attacking the Rawi, the narrator, we don't have a problem with Ibn Umar, but we just find that there's something going on here that maybe we don't fully understand. So mashallah, beautiful. Difference of opinion is not the end of the world, guys. In fact, it's something to appreciate. Next. Conditions for an ah, a, a, a had narration, according to the Hanafis, another third point is what if the narration is narrated by a narrator who isn't known for his fiqh and, is, and it opposes a fiqh principle, then the narration is rejected. For example, if somebody buys an animal that looks like it produces lots of milk, let's say you buy a goat that has its udders are full, and then they discover that it doesn't produce much milk. Rather, the owners let the udders fill up for a week to make it appear full. So the guy was kind of practicing, you could say, a little bit of deception here. He let the udders fill up, say, oh, look how plentiful this goat is, when it really wasn't. Then the buyer can either A, keep the animal, or B, return the animal and pay for the milk they got uh, while it was in their possession. Uh, this is mentioned in the following narration, related by Abu Huraira, Anhu, who said that the Prophet said, authentic hadith in Sahih Muslim, he said, he who buys a goat having its udders tied up has two courses left for him. He could do two things. He can either retain it, okay, no big deal. And if he desires, he may return it along with a sa'ah of dates and not wheat. So in other words, he's saying, listen, you did benefit from some of its milk, right? So pay the guy back for whatever you benefited from. Now the Hanafis take issue with this, why? Number one, because Abu, Hani, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Abu Huraira was not a, known as one of the top fuqaha. Number two, in fiqh, the Hanafis reject this narration because they say that according to the fiqh, payments should be made in kind, milk for milk, dates for dates. So they find this odd. Why would it be that, okay, you benefited from the milk, you're gonna give the goat back, but now you're paying in dates, a sa'a. A sa'a is a certain quantity of dates. So the fact that Abu Huraira wasn't a, considered a faqih and he narrated this narration means it's worthy of a rejection. Some uh, say that the Hanafis have rejected it because they believe it was later abrogated. And Allah knows best about this. So this is just an idea that they'll say, listen, I'm not doubting the narration itself, but something's odd about this and so we don't take it. Now, according to the Malikis, they have a different, you could say, usul, different principles. The narration can, cannot oppose the habits or customs or practices of the people of Medina. Imam Malik lived in Medina and he was like, look, what the, what the people do here must be in conformity because they all live with the Prophet and then generations went by and they maintained certain customs. So an example of this is what? The Prophet said that you can still back out of a deal so long as you haven't gotten up and left with the item in your hand that you've paid for. Uh, and the Prophet said what? Al-bayi'an kullu wahidin minhuma bil khiyar ala sahibihi both parties in a business, business transaction have the right to annul it so long as they have not separated, except in transactions which have been made subject to the right of uh, parties. Uh, basically, I give you the right to go test it out for a while and then give it back if you want. So unless it's been otherwise stipulated. So simply put, 
Me and you, I'm selling you a phone. You're looking at it, you're talking about it, you're thinking about it, you're asking questions about it. If you say, you know what, I give you the money, thank you very much, I take the money, I give you the phone, and now we get up and walk away, it's over. Now it's over, right? That's the, that's the idea. That moment of money and item, standing up and walking away, transaction is done. However, the people of Medina would allow people to come back and change their mind on an item, so the Malikis therefore reject this hadith. Again, they're not rejecting that it's authentic hadith from Sahih Muslim, they're saying it's just not acted upon. Why? Because of Amal al-Medina. That's their opinion on this uh, particular uh, idea. Now, Allah, Allah knows best nowadays we have, you know, uh, stories as long as you have the, what's it called, the receipt. You know, we have our own style of doing things. But, you know, I, I would like to return this item and, okay, is it not broken? So, alhamdulillah, these are the ways that we do things. Now, what about the conditions for a had narration according to the Shafi'is? The Shafi'is say, listen, it has to be somebody from, the, the narration must come through people that are thiqah, reliable. Honest and righteous, yani sadiq fi dinihi, has to be righteous people, all the chain of narration. Understanding what he's narrating, like it can't be from a child who doesn't even know what he's talking about. Like imagine like a little kid talking about marriage issues, it's like, you don't even know what you're saying. He has to be aqil fahim, he has to be old enough to know what he's saying. Dabit, uh, he has to have an accurate memory, not somebody who's so old they don't remember, they're mixing things up, etc. And not contradicting what is known to the people of knowledge. And therefore Imam al-Shafi also rejects mursal hadith. And we're going to talk about what is a mursal hadith uh, in just a moment, inshallah. Yes, still a little bit more to go, and then we're going to be done, inshallah. Conditions for a uh, ahad narration according to the Hanbali. So now we're starting to see little differences in usul. Almost everything's the same, but there are slight differences. Imam Malik, a little bit more focused on Medina, things like this. Now, in terms of Ahmed ibn Hanbal, everything the same as Imam al-Shafi'i. However, he will accept a hadith that is mursal. So this is a very important term. Now that we've seen it twice, what is this mursal hadith? What does this mean? So please remember, and inshallah you'll try to memorize this. A mursal hadith is when a narration is missing a sahabi. So let's imagine this. You have the Prophet and he's the one who spent time with the sahaba. Then the sahaba taught the tabi'in, the next generation. So the tabi'i is a person who met a sahabi but never met the Prophet Everybody gets this? Good. Now, there are certain tabi'in who are very well known, very famous, right? What are some names of some uh, uh, famous uh, tabi'in? Somebody help me out. Uh, Sufyan al-Thawri, for example, right? Famous tabi'in, right? So let's say Sufyan al-Thawri, rahimahullah, he was giving a lecture. And he said, Qala Rasulullah the Prophet said this. Now technically, you didn't hear that from the Prophet right? Why did you just say the Prophet said this? Who'd you hear it from, right? Now, Imam al-Shafi'i, he's like, no thanks. <laughs> now, Ahmed ibn Hanbal says, look, he has certain conditions. He says, that's Sufyan al-Thawri. This guy is a scholar from amongst the scholars, right? There are certain people that it's unthinkable that they would just speak on behalf of the Prophet while making it up. The guy was maybe being a little bit quick in his speech. You know, even me, sometimes I talk quickly. I say, Sallallahu when I should say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? So maybe he said, Qara Rasulullah. The Prophet said this. He should have said, I heard from this Sahabi that the Prophet said this, right? But he just jumped. He jumped the gun. Can we take that hadith or not? So, a mursal narration is considered reliable according to the jumhur, according to the majority. If the tabi'i is well known to be righteous and wouldn't make it up, he just forgot to mention the Sahabi he heard it from. Shafi'i rejects mursal narrations except with five conditions. So Imam Shafi'i is getting real strict here. He says, one, it can only be from the greatest scholars from the tabi'i. Number two, there must be another fully connected hadith to support the meaning. So in other words, it, you don't even need the hadith. I'm only accepting it because of the corroborating report. So in other words, it's sahih uh, li'ghayrihi. That's the term for it. Sahih, authentic, li'ghayrihi, because of other than it. So this is the term for it. 
And uh, the great scholars of Islam have accepted the narration. In other words, it's well known. Uh, the statement of the Sahabi supports it. So even if he didn't mention the Sahabi that he got it from, in another narration, a Sahabi mentions that exact same wording. So it's like, okay, well, now we know where you got it from. And then he says, the statement of the Sahabi supports it, yes. And the fatwa of the scholars support it as well. Shafi says that we can't trust the narration if we don't know who they are. The narrator, excuse me, we can't trust the narrator if we don't know who they are. Whereas the majority opinion says, we don't know who the Sahabi is, but we know we can trust all of them according to the Quran. So we accept the Mursal narration anyway. So you can see this slight contention when it comes to Mursal or Al-Marasil. I think the plural is Al-Marasil. So Mursal narrations, there's, a, there's books on this stuff where you can see a com compilation of, and we'll talk about this stuff if inshallah we get to ulum uh, al-hadith in the future. Let's try to finish up, I know I'm going along. Actions of the Prophet have three types. Yes, this is I'm right near the end. Three types of actions of the Prophet Al-af'al al-jibiliyyah, which means what? Natural actions, like walking, sitting, eating, drinking, sleeping. A person isn't considered to be following the sunnah just because they're standing or breathing. Can you imagine a guy? He's like, alhamdulillah, I get so much ajr. I'm following the sunnah, really, why? Because I blinked. I've been blinking all day. Blinking all day, and I know for a fact that the Prophet used to blink. Yes, of course, the Prophet blinked. That doesn't mean you're getting edged every time you're blinking. You guys get my point? Or breathing, etc. However, if someone makes the effort to eat with the right hand, that's done as obedience. Therefore, it's considered part of Islam and therefore rewarded. Anas who says what? There's a very contentious hadith, but I think it's interesting to note that you see a moment of humanity of the Prophet أَنَّ النَّبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ مَرَّ بِقَوْمٍ يُلَقِّحُونَ فَقَالْ لَوْ لَمْ تَفْعَلُوا لَصَلُحَا so the messenger of Allah he happened to pass by some people who had been busy grafting trees. What does that mean? You chop off one branch and stick it on a different branch. Sometimes, subhanAllah, even nowadays you can see this stuff, it's amazing. You'll have one tree and then the apples on one side are green apples and the other side are red apples, the other side are yellow apples. And you're thinking, subhanAllah, what type of tree is this? Well, they grafted it. You guys get it? It's called grafting. So the Prophet saw somebody doing this. Thereupon he said, if you were not to do it, it might be good for you. Now, is this revelation? Is he saying this as a prophet? That's how they interpreted it. But it seems that he's just talking like a person. He's just saying, I don't know, this, this seems weird to me, you know? It just like seems to be like the Prophet just speaking as a person. So they abandoned the practice. There was a decline in the yield. Uh, he, Sallallahu happened to pass them by and later on said, what has gone wrong with your trees? They said, you said so-and-so. You told us basically you shouldn't do it, right? And therefore he said, you have better knowledge in this technical skill. With regards to this particular thing, he said, what? Qala, antum a'lamu bi amri dunyakum. You know better about this stuff. Uh, 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 yes, um, yeah, uh, in, the, in the affairs of this world. This is in Sahih Muslim. So this is a moment where the Prophet is clearing, clarifying, excuse me, that I was just speaking as a person. I wasn't saying this is revelation. I was just saying this seems, you could say, in my own wording, it seems weird, it seems odd to me. And they thought, oh, haram yani. No, I didn't mean it that way. You guys get that point. Anyway, this has a lot of discussion on this hadith, but anyway, it's still interesting. So that's one, natural actions of the Prophet Number two is what? Al-af'al allati thabata kawnuha min khasa'isin Nabi Sallallahu Khasais. It has actions that are specific only for the Prophet. What are examples of this? Marrying more than four wives. Allah says in the Quran, you people, four is max. The Prophet had more. The obligation of praying at night. You, he, the Prophet had to get up for Qiyam al-Layl. Us were just recommended to get up for Qiyam al-Layl. The Prophet had to get up, uh, wajib. And also connecting two days of fasting. The Prophet during Ramadan, fast the whole day, wouldn't break his fast, fast, fast the whole next day. For us, it's haram. We're not allowed to do that. The Prophet said, this is something that is only for me. So we're not supposed to follow these practices. I hope that's clear. Uh, we are supposed to follow the night prayer, but it's not as an obligation, just to be clear. <laughs> yes, definitely pray at night. <laughs> but don't do the double fast. You're not supposed to do that. طيب. Actions of the Prophet uh, the third type is what? The one that we are most familiar with. Al-af'al al-tashri'iyya, sharia. 
that the actions that are taken as legislation, the ruling of these actions can be ranged from obligatory, recommended, or permitted. And obviously, they're not going to be makruh or haram, obviously, right? They're only going to be, you know, fard, wajib, which is obligatory, or mubah, mandub, which is uh, recommended, or mubah, allowed. I hope we have, to, inshallah, we have to get used to these terms, inshallah. Uh, and that will be determined by a number of factors. If the action is the implementation of Allah's command, like praying, then we know it's an obligation based on the command in the Quran, especially because of the hadith, sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli. Pray as you have seen me pray. So it's a command, pray as you've seen me pray. Or Allah commands us, or, or Allah's command to cut the hand of the thief, and the Prophet implementing it by cutting at the wrist, so therefore you know that. That's the, uh, what do we call that? Mutlaq and muqayyid, right? The unrestricted and then the restriction of that. This is where it's restricted. And then, uh, and then if the action has no precedence in the Qur'an, then it's either an act in which the Prophet described the ruling with it, as in the Prophet is going to say, this is fard, like he's going to describe it as an obligation or recommendation or as permissible, or he didn't me mention its actual uh, 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 ruling. He didn't say if it's like when he's doing it. He's not saying, is this just mubah? Is this fard? Is this wajib? Is this mubah, uh, mustahab? He didn't mention it, in which case we analyze whether it was an act of worship he did regularly, most likely obligatory, or rarely, therefore it's recommended, or if it's just mundane action like farming or trading, in which case it's most likely just permissible, permissible mubah. You guys get, you guys get the, the breakdown? Since mubah is the default position, the ruling of obligation requires clear evidence. You can't just go around saying, he blinked, therefore it's fought up the blink or something weird like that. <laughs> it's just a joke. Tayyip, inshallah. And final point that I want to mention about the relevance of the actions of the Prophet we should always remember, Allah says, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ That there has certainly been for you in the Messenger of Allah an excellent pattern for anyone whose hope, who, whose hope is in Allah in the last day and who remembers Allah often. So the Prophet is the best of examples and so we should follow his sunnah. With that, inshallah, we will close and open up for comments. Barakallah fikum. May Allah guide us. Ameen ya rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.